Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Together, Almighty God, thank you for a chance to be in your presence, to worship you, to lift up our concerns and to know that you hear and answer. We thank you for all the miracles that we hear happening. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for being with those uh, who are struggling. We pray that, that your spirit would fill them and encourage them this morning. Lord, as we open your word, we really need to hear from you, uh, for you are the one, the one who loves us unconditionally, the one who can challenge us and transform us, the one who makes us all that we can be. Lord, you created us at the beginning. We pray now that you would recreate us, that we would be all that you've called us to be. And Father, I ask that you would speak through me, though I'm unworthy, except by your incredible grace. Draw us close to you. Draw us into your presence. Draw us to your cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have been journeying this Lent uh, to um, the different places with Jesus, and I, I hope you've been able to go with us. We, we, we went to the tomb of Lazarus, and we heard Jesus call Lazarus out alive, and we realized that, that Jesus has come to set us free, free from the grave clothes, free from our sin. He loves us so much that he wants us to live a free life, a life where we can love anyone. It's incredible to live in Christ. Then we went to the donkey pen, and we went there to pick up the donkey for Jesus. And while we were there, we heard of Jesus coming in with great hosannas, and we heard all the excitement. And we began to realize that that as we separated ourselves from the chaos, that we could find peace in following Jesus. And so I hope this morning, welcome to the donkey pen, by the way, uh, that you have take a moment to just take a deep breath and realize you are incredibly loved and this place is safe because Jesus is here. Be in his presence and you'll find his peace. And we went from there to the upper room and we saw Jesus take off his outer garment and wash our feet of all things. And we heard Peter say, Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, wash all of me. Jesus said, no, I don't need to wash all of you. Only your feet are dirty. And we realized that Jesus was calling us to serve one another. That that's what really love is all about. To be humble with one another and to serve one another. And even to serve those who are not the best those who might even be our enemies. You remember Jesus washed Judas's feet as well. And we went from the upper room, and, and then last week we went out to the olive grove, uh, that garden, and, and while we were there, we saw Jesus arrested. And, and for, for many who uh, have seen that in movies and have thought through that, there's this image that Jesus is this milk toast kind of guy that kind of gets uh, arrested and let off. But, but as we read the story, we realized that Jesus' power was available in that moment. And because of his power, all who were there had to bow before him. They fell at his feet uh, because of his power. Um, I want to say one other thing about that because 
I want to be very clear about something. Um, I talked about Jesus' name and the power of Jesus' name. And at the mention of his name, he is in our presence and with us. And that's, that's a powerful thing. Uh, but I also want you to remember that when Jesus proclaimed his name in the garden there, and if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can get, the, the, you can get it on podcast, right? Podbean.com. Look at Greenfield Baptist. Um, but um, when... I'm getting old. See, now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> when, when Jesus uh, said his name, and when we call upon his name, it's not magic, Okay. In other words, if there's something I really want, uh, say I I see a a beautiful automobile and I think, boy, you know, that's exactly the one Adam and Debbie want. Uh, So I'm going to claim it in Jesus' name. Now, there there are some churches that believe that, well, you claim it in Jesus' name, it's yours. Um, But the truth of the matter is, when Jesus proclaimed his name, everybody, including the disciples found themselves bowing at his feet. What that means is, if you're going to claim something in Jesus' name, what you're saying is, I want Jesus' will in this situation. Okay, so it's not magic. It's not like, well, this is what I want, so I'm going to say in Jesus' name it's going to happen. But rather, it's, I submit myself to what Jesus would have in this situation, and I'm looking for him in this situation so that I can see the power of his love and grace and his will in this situation. Jesus has the best for you in mind. You say, well, it doesn't seem best to me, Pastor. I get that. There are times in my life when things have happened, I've said, Jesus, this isn't what I think is best. But somewhere deep down inside, I understand that the father knows what's best. The child doesn't always know what's best. Isn't that true in your family? Even if you're the child? When you get a little older, you realize, right, that just because I want it doesn't make it the best. Sometimes dad or mom knows what's best. Some of you kids are sitting there saying, no way, man. <laughs> but it's the truth. You'll discover it is the truth. Um, and and that's, if that's true with our earthly family, certainly that's true for our Heavenly Father. I, I just wanted to make sure that was clear. I wasn't sure I made that clear first service. I did a better job second service. This morning, so, so we've been to all these places, and this morning we come to the courtyard. And, and the courtyard is most likely a spot between uh, the, the wing that Annas was living in and the wing that Caiaphas was living in. Now, I made mention before uh, I read the scripture that there were two high priests at the time. What you have to understand is the Roman government tried to use the high priesthood as, a, as they did, for instance, uh, um, any other leadership in the Roman government to try to influence, have the most influence. So this is what they would do. They would depose a high priest if they didn't like something the high priest did, and they would then anoint, not anoint, but uh, appoint is probably a better word, their high priest, one that they thought would do what they wanted them to do. And so they would look at the influence. Now, the problem with the Jews, of course, is the Jews were highly independent people. And so it made it very difficult for the Romans to do this game of of shuffleboard with high priests. And what they did was they tried to pick someone else in the high priestly family, 
You see, because the Jews insisted that the high priest be of the high priestly family, and so they would look through the family and see perhaps the weakest link or the one they thought they could buy off, and they would then depose the one and appoint the other. Now, it didn't work that way for most of the Jews. Because you could call whomever you want. The Romans could call whomever they want high priest. But for those who were the Orthodox Jews, those who were trying to follow uh, the law of, of God in their lives, they had recognized who the high priest truly was. So what has happened is the high priestly family lives in this complex, and in the middle of this complex is a courtyard. And when Jesus is arrested, they take him through the courtyard and right into Annas' house, Annas' wing, I'll say, of the, of the house, so that they can uh, try Jesus before Annas. And then, when they're done there, they drag him from there over to Caiaphas' house to have the, the uh, official meeting of the Sanhedrin. So you have this trial here, trial here, and right in the middle is the courtyard. Now some people would say that Jesus was on trial uh, before these authorities, whether it's Annas or Caiaphas or ultimately to Pilate, the Roman governor. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus was not on trial at all. It was those he stood before that really stood on trial, was it not? If you read through the Gospel of John, and I encourage you to read through uh, the stories of the trials in the Gospel of John, you will discover that as he stands before each of these authorities, he is the one totally in control, ultimately. He, he is the one who is the truth. He tells the truth. He tells it like it is. They try to spin tales. They try to spin lies. And as they do, uh, their authority continues to, to be uh, decreased until they have no choice but to make a sentence that's truly, truly false. And Jesus stands there as the truth. They're on trial before Jesus. While all that's going on, Peter's on trial. A little different trial out in the courtyard. Peter's on trial in the court of public opinion. Peter is out in the courtyard and he has gotten there uh, through a friend who knows the high priest who actually is a follower of Jesus, which is really interesting. And he gets in the door. And when he gets in, he faces probably the greatest trial of his life. And I want to suggest to you that when we face the court of public opinion, we find ourselves in one of the greatest trials of our lives. Now, Peter should have known because Jesus had warned him ahead of time. You see, when they sat down at the Last Supper there at the upper room, Jesus had said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. <laughs> Peter, I love Peter. Peter replies, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me. You will deny three times that you know me. 
Peter should have known. Peter's, Jesus told Peter in advance that he was going to fail, but said, hold strong, he could do it. I, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, that, that you are going to face the court of a public opinion. And you may fail, or you may, you may succeed. When you stand there, remember Peter. Now, our world is full of, of uh, public uh, opinion situations. Um, and, and you can get online and, and uh, face all that social media stuff. Um, and there's a lot of, of trial there for believers to stand for the truth. And some, some believers say, well, I, I'm just not going there at all. I'll, I'll stay out of the, the social media stuff. That, you know, if that's where you feel you need to be, okay. Um, but somebody needs to be there standing for the truth. Is that not true? Somebody needs to be there standing for the truth. Now, that's one form of public opinion uh, uh, court, courtroom or courtyard, let me call it that. But, but let me suggest a couple more. When you face great physical illness, you will find yourself in the courtyard of public opinion. Because, you see, some will, some will come before you and suggest that maybe you should give up on God altogether. Others may come to you and say, well, you know, I, I, I think that if you hadn't been such a sinner, this wouldn't have happened in your life. Others may come to you and say, if God loves you, why are you having to go through this? You see, the, the courtyard of public opinion doesn't necessarily happen uh, in, in a place where you are, are uh, feeling great and on top of things. It frequently happens when you find yourself insecure and maybe not prepared. Peter gets into the courtyard, and of course, as he's there, he's... Um, He's faced with this, this public opinion, and the first place he faces it is this young girl at the door. She's the gatekeeper, so to speak. And when Peter gets there, I, I think, you know, here's Peter, this, this robust guy. He's a fisherman. Uh, we see him as someone who's strong. Certainly, he's impetuous. He, he's pretty confident most of the time. He, he gets to the door. He has to get help getting in the door, but he gets his foot in the door. And I want Peter to say, here I am. I'm going to take it on. I'm ready for this battle. I'm ready for this fight. He's the one who's the, the Jesus said, you are the rock and I will build my church on this rock on his confession. He's the one that said, I believe you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, yeah, and that's, uh, that's what I'm going to build my church on. And look, Peter, you have stood up. 
You, you are strong. You have said this. And, and if you keep that, the gates of hell itself will not overcome it. That's pretty powerful words. My guess is Peter walked, walked away feeling pretty good about himself. At that point, hey, yeah, I, I knew I was on the right track. I could hear Peter saying, yeah, I, I knew it. I knew it all along. I, I'm the one. I'm the one. And so when, when it came time for Jesus to be arrested, you remember just last week, uh, you know, G, the, the soldiers come, and, and Peter, Peter's the one that rips out his sword. He's out. He's looking for somebody. He sees Malchus. He whips it. Mal- Malchus moves at just the right moment, and Malchus's ear rips off. Peter's ready to go at it. Come on, bring it on. I can see Peter. Of course, you, you remember all, everybody had already fallen down once because of Jesus' power. But, but Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. Peter's going to take him on. Now Jesus tells him, that's not what my kingdom's about, Peter. And he puts Malchus's ear back on, by the way. Heals it, which is pretty awesome. Can you think of all the things that were happening? That's pretty awesome stuff. And now Peter gets to the door. Super Peter. Powerful Peter. And he gets to the door and he meets this young girl, the receptionist. She's only the receptionist. I mean, I mean, she's not like some super receptionist. As a matter of fact, the scripture is very clear that she's a young girl, probably younger than the one in the picture here. She, she's a young girl. She, she's not someone with a lot of strength or power. She's not sitting there with her pistol on her, on her hip ready for, for anybody, bad guy, to come. She's simply the receptionist. And Peter, here comes strong Peter. Here comes little receptionist. And she says to him, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Now, you need to know that in the Greek language, one of the, one of the most interesting things about the Greek language is it comes with, a lot of the questions can come with an implied answer. Okay? Which is why our scripture translates it like this. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The implied answer in the Greek here is no, I'm not. That's the, so she looks at Peter, certainly Peter. You're not one of his disciples, are you? you? You wouldn't be one of them. Now, I'd like to know what was going on in Peter's head, wouldn't you? Super Peter, little receptionist. In that moment when he should have been strong, he should have simply said, yeah, actually I am. Her question leads him on. And he simply says, I am not. Brothers and sisters in Christ, be careful when you feel so confident in your faith. Because it's in those moments when we are most confident that someone who seems having very little threat to us, our faith at all, will come to us with the question, the question that would lead us to say, no, I'm not. Who has that influence in your life?
Peter goes from the door, doorkeeper over to the fire. And there he meets the police. And, and I, I want to be clear that the Scripture there says, uh, in our translation, it says the uh, servants and officials. Uh, the officials, the word there most literally would be the police. The, and they're probably the off-duty police and off-duty servants are standing around warming themselves in the courtyard. So here's Peter now around the fire with the, the, the police and the servants of the high priest. Now this is a funny group to be in, be in, 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 in contact with for Peter. Peter, when he was with the disciples, he, he's all confident. But now, even to the doorkeeper, he said he's not a follower of Jesus. His confidence is waning. Now he's in this group, and he's looking at this group, and, and they're the police. If he says he's a follower of Jesus, what will happen now? A good off-duty police officer would immediately do what? Say, oh, that's nice, Peter. Oh, really? You're one of his? That, oh, well, that's good. Tell me more. No. An off-duty police officer would, would immediately pull out whatever weapon they have and say, listen, buddy, <laughs> you and I are headed somewhere else. It's interesting, isn't it? Peter wanted to follow Jesus. That's what he wanted to do. And as he follows Jesus, he finds himself almost a fish out of water with this group of people that he never thought he'd be in contact with, certainly not at this point in his life where he has proclaimed Jesus to be his Lord. He's proclaimed himself a follower of Jesus. Now he's with a bunch of people that if he proclaims Jesus, he'll be arrested. What's he going to do? Confidence waning. Public opinion against him. And not just against him, but threatening him. What's he going to do? The question's the same, by the way, as the first. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The implied answer is no. Peter has to decide. He says, I am not. But here's the problem. You see, you and I claim we want to be followers of Jesus. Right? I mean, most of us here claim we want to be followers of Jesus. Be very clear what that means. If Peter was truly to follow Jesus, he too would be arrested. Would he not? Isn't that where Jesus went? But Peter, with all his bluster, is not willing to go there. You see, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to go against the tide. You have to be willing to go the other way. And it's hard to go the other way, isn't it? Because you don't feel like you're a part of the group. You feel like you might be criticized. Or, or maybe even it'll cost you something. You say, well, this never happens in my life. Well, let me ask you this question. So you're at work. And while you're at work, a bunch of co-workers are together. Or maybe better yet, your boss comes over and says, Hey, listen, uh, I want you to do me a favor. I know you've only done so much, but I want you to write down that we actually did this much. Hey, listen, nobody will know, nobody will care. 
just go with the flow. Then none of us get in trouble. And we'll look okay. Nobody will really care. I know, I know believers who have been asked to do just that, and some who have gone along. Well, it's no big deal. Nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to know. Well, see, there's a problem because in one of the other Gospels where Peter denies Jesus, then Jesus is being transferred from one, one uh, house to the other, and in the middle, Jesus happens to get a glimpse at Peter and catch his eyes. And Peter realized that, no, no, this isn't what Jesus called me to. He's asked me to follow him, to be willing to sacrifice for him. I I know others who have been willing to follow Jesus and have said no and have lost their jobs. Willing to follow Jesus. Willing to walk against the flow. Peter says, no, not me. I I don't know him. I'm not his follower. And then comes the last one. And this is the one who's seen Peter. He saw him in the olive grove. You say, well, how could he not know? Well, remember, it was dark in the olive grove, okay? And yeah, they had, they had their uh, torches, but there were a lot of people there. And when Peter went ballistic, I'm sure things went chaotic real quickly. Uh, I, I'm reminded of uh, when we were robbed a number of years ago. Um, and uh, I, I was coming in Saturday night uh, to put the finishing touches on the masterpiece for Sunday morning, as they say. And uh, as I walked in, uh, the doors were open. Well, we had had a, uh, a uh, shower, a baby shower that afternoon. I thought, oh, we just, people didn't close the doors. Happens once in a while. Wasn't too worried about it. And I came in, and there was a, a guy standing in the hallway. And I said, can I help you? And just then, a lady and a little kid came out of the side door there, and and uh, he said, yeah, we were driving by, saw lights on, and my little girl needed to use the restroom, so we were looking for a bathroom. I said, oh, pff, you walked right by it. It's right here. Oh, okay. So the, the lady and the little girl went into the restroom, and the guy says to me, he says, yeah, we saw some people here. I said, you saw people in here? Now I'm concerned. Yeah, it looked like some kids were running around in here. Okay. So now I'm thinking, okay, I've I got to make sure everything's okay. So I run to the balcony to make sure uh, all that stuff is still there, and it's all fine. And when I come down the stairs, he and, and the lady and the little girl are driving off. Well, then I went into the office area to discover that the office had been broken into, and, and uh, my, my office, and uh, Pastor Jim was here at the time, his office was broken into, and, and so... I called the chairman of the trustees, and we called the police. And the police officer says to me, can you identify these people? Of course I can. I saw them. I talked to them. I looked at them. Of course I can. Good, he says. So a few days later, he comes with a bunch of pictures in a lineup. And he says, so which one? Now take your time, he said. Don't go too quickly. These are the women. Don't go too fast. Which one of these? 
It's the woman you saw. Um, well, you know, we weren't there too long. And I guess I, I didn't see her face so much. Um, Um, this one. And, and, and I saw him kind of shake his head, and I thought, oh, I just guessed. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really figure it out. She looked the most of what I remembered, but they all look pretty similar when you get them on the page there in front of you. Now, they eventually caught them. had nothing to do with me, obviously. I, if, if you see me somewhere else and expect me to remember your face... Um, might not happen. Just want you to know. <laughs> uh, and I can imagine that here in the midst of the chaos of Peter whipping out his sword and all that was going on, uh, the, this relative of Malchus, the guy whose ear was cut off, is standing there warming himself. Who would have thought he'd be in the same place Peter is only a few hours later? Here they are around, and he's looking at Peter, and he's thinking, that guy really looks like him. I'm not sure now, but... Boy, he really looks like the one. He, I'm sure he's the one that cut off uh, my relatives here. It's got to be him. It just looks so much like him. And, and finally, he, he, he gets right up in Peter's face and he says, Listen, you are him. I know you are. Now, you need to know that the question this time has an implied yes answer to it. Peter, in that moment of great faith, who was ready to take on the world, is now faced with a person who had seen that, challenging whether that was real or not. Are you really a follower of Jesus? I'm reminded of the story of the preacher who one Sunday preached about integrity. Spent the whole Sunday, uh, the whole morning preaching on on how we need to have integrity in all our affairs and that afternoon he decided to go to the hospital and he was a city pastor so he took the bus if you if you're from the city you know what i'm talking about because there's no place to park so you you take the bus and he got on the bus and he he paid the bus driver and he got back change and when he sat down he looked at his change and he realized he had been repaid more than he should have so he had more money. And as he sat there on the ride to the hospital, he began to think, well, you know, God provides in mysterious ways. And he began to think, well, you know, maybe, maybe I miscalculated. So he went over it three or four times. And finally, he realized that, yes, he had been overpaid. So when they got to the hospital, he went up to the bus driver. And he said, I'm sorry, but you gave me the wrong change. And the bus driver smiled and said, I know, I was in your church yesterday. <laughs> I wanted to see if you practice what you preach. Now, Peter had proclaimed his faith in the olive grove when the power of Jesus was present in a way he could actually see. Now he finds himself in the courtyard, confronted by those who, who had seen his faith stance, wanting to know if it was real. 
Now, certainly, if he had said, yes, I am that disciple, he would have been arrested. I get all that. But the question is, is your faith worth, worth the price that Jesus paid? In the court of public opinion, Peter failed. He failed to live what he believed and because, or what he said at that moment. And so in that moment, he lost influence with everybody sitting around that fire, with the doorkeeper, with his friend. He, he lost influence in his world. And when we fail to stand for Christ in the court of public opinion, we lose our influence, not just in, in the lives of those who are there, but in the lives of others who are watching us very closely to see if we really believe what we say. However, if we are able to stand, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to you know, uh, make you think it's easy. I, I know it's not easy. But when you are willing to stand, then people begin to listen. Then as the crowd looks at you, they begin to hear. Look at what Jesus did. You see, he lost in the, some would say, in that courtyard. Not too long after that, he found himself in a courtyard. Do you remember that? The courtyard of Pilate, actually, this time. Here he is in a courtyard. And earlier in the week, there were a whole lot of people proclaiming him the Messiah, yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in this courtyard, that's not what you hear. What you hear instead is crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus stood. He didn't say, oh, I didn't really mean it. Pilate pulls him away from the crowd and says, tell me more about this. And and Jesus is very clear. The truth can't be changed. Pilate's like, well, what is truth? See, Pilate wants to play with the truth. Spin the truth. Sound familiar? Happens pretty regularly right now on, on TV with bunch of people who claim they want to be president. They want to spin the truth, but you can't spin the truth. The truth is either true or it's not. And Jesus stands there and they yell, crucify him. And they hung him on a cross and Jesus never changed. Never changed. He stood firm. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He hung on that cross and he offered forgiveness for all those who would waver in the court of public opinion. If they would turn back to him, he would restore their faith. He says to Peter, you saw it on the video in the countdown timer. He says, Peter... Do you love me? And and he says it three times. Why does he say it three times? Clearly, because he's trying to get Peter to see, Peter, you blew it, but that's not the end. I still have work for you to do. Even when you fail in the court of public opinion, Jesus draws you into his courtroom and says, I offer you forgiveness. If you'll take it, I will restore your influence. You watch. But next time, you've got to stand. What is your influence this morning? When you stand in the court of public opinion, do you stand for what's true and what's right? Or have you wavered? If you've wavered, let me remind you that Jesus still loves you. That doesn't change.
And He's calling you to stand firm in Him again. And watch. He'll begin to transform your influence. Maybe you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah, Pastor, I've been real good in the, uh, the, the court of public opinion. Watch yourself. Someone's going to come along and whisper in your ear. A young person of little or no faith. Or someone will come along and say, if you really want to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. We live in a society where it doesn't usually cost us much to follow Jesus. That's changing, and it's going to continue to change. Are you willing to pay? Are you willing to accept the cost and follow Jesus? Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross when? Daily. Daily and follow me. And someone's going to be watching you who's seen you take a stand for Christ before. And they're going to ask you, do you really believe this? They're watching. Jesus wants to impact them through you. Won't you follow him? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for our time together this morning. Thank you for your love and forgiveness when we fail. Thank you for loving Peter. Lord Jesus, this morning we pray that you would help us Help us when we stand in the court of public opinion, when we face trials in our lives, to stand for you, to be willing to stand no matter what the cost, and to watch as you work in and through us. Lord Jesus, it's easy this morning in the group of believers to stand for you. Help us tomorrow and throughout the week and throughout the weeks to come to remember Peter and to stand firm for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.